Now we'll transition the children (coughs) to their experience. As we do, we will um, collect our uh, offering for the evening. I encourage you to get involved in the golf outing. If you are a golfer and you can get other golfers, uh, please sign up by September 5th. We need to know if you're going to golf and who you're going to golf with by September 5th. Um, in terms of donations and stuff, we can work on that till uh, the event. But in terms of number of golfers, we need to know that by September 5th. So please, uh, there are sign-up sheets. You can take them home, uh, talk to your friends, invite them, uh, get that ready, sign up so that we can know that. So as we um, <coughs> collect our offering tonight, we will, uh, uh, we will watch our video, uh, Hero's Journey, and uh, be able to uh, transition into our forum time. What do Harry Potter, Katniss Everdeen, and Frodo all have in common with the heroes of ancient myths? What if I told you they are all variants of the same hero? Do you believe that? Joseph Campbell did. He studied myths from all over the world and published a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, retelling dozens of stories and explaining how each represents the monomyth or hero's journey. So... What is the hero's journey? Think of it as a cycle. The journey begins and ends in the hero's ordinary world, but the quest passes through an unfamiliar, special world. Along the way, there are some key events. Think about your favorite book or movie. Does it follow this pattern? Status quo, that's where we start. One o'clock, call to adventure. The hero receives a mysterious message, an invitation, a challenge. Two o'clock, assistance. The hero needs some help, probably from someone older, wiser. Three o'clock, departure. The hero crosses the threshold from his normal, safe home and enters the special world and adventure. We're not in Kansas anymore. Four o'clock, trials. Being a hero is hard work. Our hero solves a riddle, slays a monster, escapes from a trap. Five o'clock, approach. It's time to face the biggest ordeal, the hero's worst fear. Six o'clock, crisis. This is the hero's darkest hour. He faces death and possibly even dies, only to be reborn. Seven o'clock, treasure. As a result, the hero claims some treasure, special recognition or power. Eight o'clock, Result. This can vary between stories. Do the monsters bow down before the hero, or do they chase him as he flees from the special world? Nine o'clock. Returned. After all that adventure, the hero returns to his ordinary world. Ten o'clock. New life. This quest has changed the hero. He has outgrown his old life. Eleven o'clock. Resolution. All the tangled plot lines get straightened out. Twelve o'clock. Status quo, but upgraded to a new level. Nothing is quite the same once you're a hero. Many popular books and movies follow this ancient formula pretty closely, but let's see how well The Hunger Games fits the hero's journey template. When does Katniss Everdeen hear a call to adventure that gets the story moving? When her sister's name is called from the lottery? How about assistance? Is anyone going to help her on her adventure? 
Hamish. What about departure? Does she leave her ordinary world? She gets on a train to the capital. Okay, so you get the idea. What do you have in common with Harry Potter, Katniss Everdeen, and Frodo? Well, you're human, just like them. The hero's journey myth exists in all human cultures and keeps getting updated because we humans reflect on our world through symbolic stories of our own lives. You leave your comfort zone, have an experience that transforms you, and then you recover and do it again. You don't literally slay dragons or fight Voldemort, but you face problems just as scary. Joseph Campbell said, In the cave you fear to enter lies the treasure you seek. What is the symbolic cave you fear to enter? Auditions for the school play? Baseball tryouts? Love? Watch for this formula in books, movies, and TV shows you come across. You will certainly see it again, but also be sensitive to it in your own life. Listen for your call to adventure. Accept the challenge. Conquer your fear and claim the treasure you seek. And then do it all over again. want to thank uh, Todd for finding that uh, for us to use uh, during this series. Uh, and you can uh, watch that again on YouTube. Just look for The Hero's Journey. Uh, very well done TED-Ed talk uh, about Joseph Campbell's work. So let's have a word of prayer as we transition now <clears throat> to our forming time. Lord, we thank you for this time to gather, for this opportunity to worship and learn to form ourselves as disciples that we may go into our world as people of new life. Transforming it, renewing it, bringing it to your glory. We ask now that you open our hearts and our minds that you allow us to understand how this pattern and journey may work in our life as we look to follow you, as we look to answer our call. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Well, welcome once again to New Life. I'm Mark Myers. I want to welcome all those joining us online. If you've missed any of this uh, four-part series, Supers, uh, you may catch it online at www.findnewlifeumc.org or you can go to our podcast through iTunes at New Life UMC. So for the last three weeks, we've been looking at this pattern that we just saw in the video from Joseph Campbell um, in his book, A Hero with a Thousand Faces. And in his book, he goes through many different stories and he tells us about this monomyth that all of these classic hero stories follow the same pattern. Now I believe that not only do we see this play out in books and films and in our world, but we also see it play out in our lives and in our faith. So thus far we've worked through the first three phases. We've talked about being called to adventure from our ordinary world going down, departing to an extraordinary or special world, traveling down a road of many trials, approaching our greatest fear, experiencing a great crisis before we finally find the treasure that we're looking for. Today we conclude the series, and we conclude our journey, by looking at the fourth phase, which includes three parts, as all of our phases do. Return, new life, and resolution. So as we've done in the last few weeks, we're going to start by looking at our film, The Avengers. 
we're going to move to a story from Scripture, and then we're going to talk about how this affects our faith journey. So let's move to the Avengers. So far in our film, and I encourage you to, to watch it again once we've completed this, uh, to see how this pattern may play out in various ways. But so far in our film, our heroes have been called from their ordinary world. Yes, they were already heroes. They each have had their own journey. But they were living their kind of fantastic but still normal lives. And they're called and they depart into a very strange world, a world with Norse gods and a world with magic and a world that is uh, now being invaded by an alien force. We saw last week how they came to a point of crisis when their friend, uh, Agent Coulson, one of the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., was killed. But how that death and how that crisis brought them together as a team and that the treasure was the formation of this uh, group of individual heroes to one group, one team of heroes called the Avengers. So today, uh, we're at towards the end of our film actually, there has been an alien invasion. They've been fighting off the alien invasion. The government has sent a nuclear missile to try to stop the in alien invasion because that's always our response to everything, I think, <coughs> in movies. We send a nuke and try to, try to take it down. And so there is a nuclear missile heading towards Manhattan. There is aliens everywhere, and things look hopeless. And that's when we experience a return and a resolution and even an experience of new life. So let's watch our clip. Uh, in our final clip from the movie Avengers. just where to put it. Stark, you know that's a one-way trip. Save the rest for the turn, Jay. So, shall I try Miss Paul's? Might as well. Streets of New York City have become a battleground. The army is here trying to contain the violence, but clearly it is outmatched in
not slowing down. What just happened? Please tell me nobody kissed me. We won. <sighs> All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. You ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it. We're not finished yet. and then swarm after. So in our, our clip today, Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man, was a hero who, who in the series of movies that had two adventures before that. But his uh, foes in those movies were basically other industrialists. They were people who were trying to use his weapons uh, and his technology for weapons or for personal gain. So here in this uh, movie, we have Tony, who, yeah, was a little larger than life, who's a hero, entering into a world with aliens and gods and magic, uh, a world very different, a world that's extraordinary from his own. And at the end of this movie, this uh, very self-centered, uh, uh, very uh, uh, kind of stuck-up and arrogant individual does something very heroic and guides the nuclear missile away from New York into the portal, and, and, of course, destroys the alien ship. And that, of course, destroys the alien army because all aliens use a central mechanism to control their entire army. Don't ever do that. <coughs> in case you're wondering, it's terrible, terrible <laughs> system. But it seems to happen a lot <coughs> in movies. So the portal closes, the invasion ends, and we have a literal return. Tony had entered into the alien space, the extraordinary world, and we have a literal return to the earth in that scene. Kind of a cool way to live out and, and to see how that return looks. Now, now for Tony in the scene, new life is that experience of literally being kind of shaken awake. After doing this heroic thing, he kind of re-emerges and is alive and he's kind of still his old you know, self, but in a sense he's now something new. Uh, and, and we see that as the, the series continues and he has another movie and we'll probably see that in the future. For Tony, that new life is an experience of selflessness. I think for all the Avengers, we see an experience of camaraderie, an experience of team. And then we have a resolution as the heroes kind of disperse, but we know that they will, of course, come again because the movie made like a bajillion dollars. <coughs> of, course, so of course, there will be another one, uh, and they make a comment about that. But they're forever changed by their journey. They were still heroes, they were individuals, but now at the end of this film, at the end of the, the, the media, 
we see them changed and transformed into something new. They're a team. They're a unit. And they can come back when they need to to protect the earth. So I want to see how that, that's how it plays out in our, in our movie. And you can see it through other movies and books and all kinds of different stories about how that plays out. But let's see how it plays out in Scripture. Now, initially, I didn't want to, I didn't want to use the person of Jesus Christ in one of these sermons because I didn't want to necessarily um, lessen who Jesus is uh, and, and was in a certain point of time. On the other hand, I realize that if this pattern is to be meaningful in our lives, and we are followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be able to see how this played out in Jesus' journey. And Jesus does have a specific journey, a journey that follows this pattern. Now, two of the Gospels have a birth story. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Two of the, the Gospels have a birth story, and that is its own journey. It's really more of a journey of Mary and Joseph. But all of the Gospels, all four Gospels, recount the public ministry of Jesus. And that's about a three-year period. And in that three-year period, we're going to see this pattern play out. So I want to go step by step through, through our entire four phases and show you how in the Gospel we actually see Jesus going through this pattern very particularly. So let's start with phase one. And I think I have all the phases up here so you can remember <coughs> status quo. The hero is living an ordinary life. Now for Jesus Christ, we know very little what happened between the time he's 13 and 30. We can assume that he went to kind of a, a Hebrew school, that he learned his Torah. We can assume that under the guidance of his father Joseph, he learned how to become a carpenter. And we can assume that he was a carpenter for some part of his adult life. We don't know that for sure, but I think it's a safe assumption. Much else we don't know. But we know Jesus' public ministry doesn't start until he is 30. So, Jesus is living an ordinary life. He's maybe living uh, in, the, in, in the area where his mother and, and brothers and sisters are, where his family is, extended family. Maybe he's working as a carpenter. One day all of that changes. He meets his cousin. Remember, John the Baptist is his cousin. He meets his cousin at the River Jordan, and his cousin's making trouble for everybody. And he's baptizing people, saying that the Messiah is coming. And Jesus goes to the River Jordan and asks John to baptize him. And during that event, the heavens open up, and God speaks. God the Father speaks from the heavens and says, This is my Son. I don't think there's a, a greater call to adventure than the experience of God saying, here he is. And so Jesus is called into his journey. He's baptized by John and he goes. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's his assistance. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. It descends upon him like a dove. We, we see that imagery in the early parts of the Gospel. And he is empowered by the other two persons of the Trinity. So that takes us from our first phase. Let's move into our second phase. Departure. He is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He departs from his ordinary world into a very strange world for the next three years. He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And this would mark his departure, I think, from a carpenter to the Son of God. 
Now, a road of trials. Jesus is tempted by Satan following his time in the wilderness. And for the next three years of his public life, he encounters trials and challenges time and time again. That is the majority of the Gospel story. At least half of most of our Gospels are filled with the teachings, the miracles, the conflicts, the trials of our Lord Jesus Christ as He engages in ministry across the ancient Near East. Now approach. During the last week of His life, He comes to Jerusalem. He approaches Jerusalem for the last time and He predicts His death by crucifixion. In the garden after the Last Supper, He prays to God that what will happen will not happen. He asks the Father to prevent what would become his crisis. So he approaches a fear. He approaches perhaps the greatest challenge that any human has approached. That brings us to phase three crisis. Jesus is betrayed, arrested, beaten, put on trial, and sentenced to death by crucifixion. Crisis for him and for his followers. Treasure. Jesus says there's no greater act of love for than one person to lay down their life for another. We see that play out in our movie. We see it play out in most movies that are worth anything. A hero lays down their life for someone else. Jesus lays down his life for all of humanity, unlocking a treasure called the kingdom of heaven. Unlocking a treasure called being an heir with Christ to that kingdom, being a son and daughter of God. Result, the curtain. Amazing scene. The curtain of the temple, the Holy of Holies, the separation of God from the rest of humanity. Remember in those days, we actually talked about this in Sherlin last week, in those days, the people in Jerusalem in that area, the Jewish people, believed that God was literally sitting on the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And that Ark was in a very small area behind a giant curtain, behind another set of walls, behind another set of walls, and another set of walls. Couldn't be more separated from anyone else. But that's where God was. The Samaritans believed God was on a mountain. We'll talk about mountains later. But... <clears throat> In that moment, we hear that the curtain is torn in two and God is no longer separated from humanity, but God is now with humanity. That is the result. It's a pretty good result. And that brings us to phase four. And as we enter phase four, I want to read from the Gospel of Mark. We don't often read this Easter story, but it is powerful. Mark chapter 16, uh, just the first eight verses. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint Jesus' dead body. Very early on the first day of the week after the sunrise, they came to the tomb. They were saying to one another, how are we going to roll away this stone which is blocking the entrance? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. Going to the tomb, they saw a young man in a white robe seated at the right side, and each of them was startled. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. I know you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, here's the place where they laid him. 
go tell the disciples, especially Peter, because he needs to hear things a couple times, like some of us, that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Now overcome with terror and dread, they fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. We believe the Gospel of Mark originally ended right there. Um, obviously, they told somebody, right? <laughs> or, or we wouldn't have the Gospel of Mark or we wouldn't have the resurrection story. Uh, and so they add some, some things later about that. And unfortunately, that's where we get snake handling from. But that's a different sermon about something else uh, uh, entirely. <laughs> Read it. It's, it's, that's where it is. It's right after, right after this. We move into phase four, return. Jesus conquers death and sin and returns to life. The experience of new life is not the same as his previous life. Jesus is different. The resurrected Christ is different. He looks different. He can do different. He is complete in his personhood. He says and does amazing things. And then resolution. Jesus teaches the disciples. He tells them the Holy Spirit is coming. And he finally ascends to heaven to take his place at the side of God the Father. That's not the end of the story completely, is it? That's the end of one journey. That's the end of Jesus' three-year journey on earth. Jesus' time on earth was limited, around 33 years. Three years of that was his public ministry. But we believe that Jesus will be called into a venture once again, that he will return to us, and that will be a new journey that changes all things. All journeys come to an end. Unfortunately, not all journeys end, or fortunately, not all journeys end for good. That brings us to our faith journey. We are all called back to a relationship with God. We are called to be sons or daughters of God, heirs with Christ to the kingdom of heaven. And because of Christ's journey, we can take that journey. That's the importance of Jesus Christ. Without Christ, we could not take that journey. Christ was the one who unlocked that treasure for all of us to obtain. For all of us to receive. Last week we spoke of crisis and treasure, union with God. And sometimes we refer to that as a mountaintop experience. That does come from Scripture, the idea that it's on top of the mountain where we experience God. Moses, after he leads the Israelites out of the desert, he goes to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and there it is on top of the mountain that he experiences God. We use that to talk about those otherworldly experiences in our faith journeys. Those times, those events, those places where we feel lifted out of our ordinary world into an extraordinary world, into the presence of God, and we feel one with God. We feel closest to God. We feel at union with God. We feel like a true son or daughter. Conversion experiences, experiences of being born again are just those moments throughout our lives that we experience that, our wonderful mountaintop experience. Now there's some day, there's a hope that one day we will be unified with God forever, but until that day, we have to return from the mountain. We have to travel back to our ordinary world. Our current world needs us. If you don't realize that, you don't watch TV much or read the newspaper. 
or go outside or talk to anyone because our world is desperate for some good news, the reality that there is something better coming. So when it comes to our common faith journey, we must all return to this world as people of new life. When we experience new life, we are experiencing it so we can do something good. We are transformed into people of new life so that we can transform others, so that we can transform our community, so that we can change this world, bring heaven to earth, bring the kingdom, come here. But we also have to journey again. Our common faith journey cycles over and over and over again throughout our lives. The resolution of one journey comes and as soon enough we are called back into adventure. We need to constantly be renewed. We worship regularly so that we can be cycled and renewed on a weekly basis. We go to great events of times of worship, times of learning, times of retreat so that we can be renewed. We have experiences like those on the mountaintop so that we can be renewed, so that we are constantly changed, made better, made closer to the people we are supposed to be. The hero's journey, in essence, is all about traveling from our world to a special world, an extraordinary world, and then coming back to our world with something to share. And we believe as people of faith that sharing is the good news, is the new life Jesus Christ has to offer not only you and me, but all people. But it also plays out in individual calls in all of our lives and in, in the things that make us different and the things that make us unique. We have to journey to a strange world and sometimes come back better, renewed, transformed. When I was called into ordained ministry, I entered a very strange world called the candidacy process and that lasted 10 years. That end, ended with my ordination. That journey was a journey of 10 years, a journey that brought me to a strange land and thankfully back to the real world. If I had stayed in that world of a candidacy, I would have never returned to do the work God had meant for me to do. Some of you have been called to the journey called parenting. Now you're always a parent, but hopefully, I know some of you are saying God, hopefully, you're raising your children does have an end. It has a beginning as they are brought into this world and it has an end as you let them go out into the world on their own. Sometimes they come back, I know. But hopefully that is a journey that spans a certain amount of time. Some of you have a journey called a career. Careers have beginnings and ends. Some of you work in extraordinary worlds. For the last three years, we have journeyed together starting a ministry called New Life. The phase of beginning our ministry will end and we will start a new phase. Every journey has a beginning. Every journey has an end. And I need you to know that both are important. It is important to start something well because if you do not answer the call to your journey, that call to adventure, you will never begin the journey at all. So that is exceptionally important. You must begin well. But you must also end well. 
If you do not return into the world with the treasure you have found and make something of it, the journey becomes meaningless. It was for nothing. Unfortunately, I know some Christians who have these wonderful experiences and then they come back and they don't do anything with it. They don't let it change them. They don't let it change others. And that's what it's for. If you have a wonderful experience, you need to bring it back to us, to your community, to your neighborhood. Let it change not only you, but the people around you. Use that treasure to transform the status quo, your ordinary world. Every journey needs a resolution. Every journey needs an end. Recently, we've in the last few years, I guess we've had this kind of nice change in television where people have started to do television shows that are called anthologies, where the story for the television begins and ends in one season. And then next season, it's a different story. All too often, the shows that I love keep continuing, because unfortunately I watch shows on the WB, they continue and continue and you're left with a cliffhanger and by the time the series is finally cancelled, the resolution is not very satisfying. Very few shows that have become acclaimed end well. Because they keep going, because they keep dragging on, they keep having cliffhangers and there's no end. A good ending makes it possible for a new beginning. That is why we must end as well as we begin. Now many of us have so many journeys happening simultaneously, and I think that's okay, but sometimes our journeys continue because we will not allow them to end. I've seen many ministries continue for years and years and years because people did not want to let them end. And those ministries led to burnout and led to tension because they needed to have an ending so that something new could continue, could start. We must be willing to end our journey just as we must be willing to listen to where God is calling us to a near journey. Now this journey has come to an end. We've seen how our hero's journey plays out in fiction and scripture and hopefully in our lives. I encourage you to kind of hold this pattern close to you to see how it is playing out in fiction, how it's playing out in your life, how it plays out in the stories we read over the course of time in Scripture. So that you may not only see when you are being called to adventure, but so that you will know how, how to journey well and ultimately how to reach your treasure, be made new, and return better because of it. So as we end tonight, I want to remind you of a couple things that unlike the hero in many of our stories, we do not need to journey alone. We have the risen Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, the triune God journeying with us. But we also have one another. We journey together. And that is the mark of the church. Next week, we uh, will talk a little bit about our uh, former's footsteps. And then we will transition to our series, All In, for four weeks. So I encourage you, if you want to pick up the book, All In, by Mark Batterson, it would be a good time to buy that or download it here in the next week or so. Amazon usually ships things out within a week. 
a good opportunity to read that resource and see how we use it here in worship. Let us now transition to our forwarding time as our band uh, prepares to uh, continue to lead us in worship. Let us pray. Almighty God, You've called us all into a world of adventure. We ask that You give us an ear to hear Your calling. Give us hearts of courage to follow that call. Help us listen with one another so that we may hear their calls. You set us on a road filled with trials. We pray that you allow trials to teach and strengthen us. Give us compassion for the trials of others. Let us walk together down the road you have set before us. Lord, you bless us with new life. You transform us from the inside out. You give us gifts to better this world. Let us help one another. Use those gifts. Let us not be afraid, but trust in you always, so that our world may be your world. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who you sent into our world. Surfing. 